journey through the kingdom for the past number of months in different parts of, of the scriptures. We've started a while back in the summer looking at uh, the, where the kingdom's headed, the new heavens and the new earth. And we talked a lot about what things are going to be like when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom in full and completes the work that he started uh, on the cross and makes all things new. We talked about what that's, what that's going to be like, what, could we can, what we can look forward to and what we can have hope in. And then we move from there to say, well, if that's true about where things are headed, what, what now? What can we expect on a day-to-day basis? And we spent some time in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 looking at the character of a child of the kingdom what a disciple is supposed to, to look like, to be about, to, uh, what the heart of a disciple is. And in the last few weeks, we've been in Matthew 13, and today in Matthew 18, looking at the parables of the kingdom, where Jesus goes beyond just looking at where things are headed, and goes beyond just looking at the character of one who is a, a part of his kingdom, to actually describing the kingdom itself. What, what is the kingdom like? What can we expect in between the coming of Christ the first time and the second coming of, of Christ. You know, we, we talk about the kingdom. We talk about, really, the, the work of the church, of Christians, what we're supposed to be about as individuals and as a, as a body working together to see the kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven until he comes again. And one of the things that we've talked about in here and looking at what is culture and how do we engage culture, how do we seek to be involved in kingdom work, is that one of the toughest things, one of the biggest obstacles to the kingdom is you and I, our, uh, us, our own sin, our own mess that we bring to the table, our own inability for various reasons to be able to work together towards those kingdom goals. And it's in that context that Jesus turns us today to look at in Matthew 18. He is, he's been uh, working and walking with the disciples now for some extended time by, by this point in his ministry. He's taught them a number of things about himself, about what it means to, to live according to, to his ethics, his kingdom. And now he's talking just to the disciples, and he's, he's kind of told them, hey, this is where it's headed. I'm going to, to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to, to give my life for, uh, for you, for the kingdom. And you know, Peter confesses Christ, and then at the, the, right at the, the heels of it, he ends up uh, you know, attacking uh, Jesus and saying, no, it can't come that way. You're supposed to be this military leader that brings the kingdom in full now, and we're going we're gonna to reign with you. And Jesus has to rebuke him and say, Peter, that's, that's not how it's going to be. That's not what it's going to look like. And then he takes Peter and James and John up on the side of the mountain, and they see, he's transfigured before them, they see his glory in full. And they don't really know what to even do with themselves. They, they fumble around with, with words to try to, to, to try to get at what's going on before them, what they're seeing in full. And then he comes down from the mountain, and on the heels of that, you have a discussion at the start of Matthew 18 of, 
hey, who's, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Which one of us, you know, us 12 are going to be the greatest? Which one of us is going to have the highest seat? And, you know, Jesus hears it and tells them, hey, it's, you're not getting it. You're missing the point. This kingdom, the greatest in the kingdom will be the one who serves uh, one another, the one who serves the most. And he kind of continues to walk through it. And then he turns in, in the end of Matthew 18, middle of, end of Matthew 18, to talking about how brothers can relate. And he talks about, in chapter 18, verse 15, about what to do when a brother sins against you. Now, this is not what to do when some stranger out there who doesn't know who Jesus is, who doesn't walk, claim the name of Christ and walks with Christ, how to deal with them. He's, he's not talking about that. He's talking about what... What do I do if, if a brother sins against me? And Jesus kind of lays out the process of, of talking through, working through disagreement and division among brothers. And he says, well, first of all, you go to him. And if he doesn't listen, then you, you bring in another trusted brother or sister and you, you work through it there. And, and then the last, the, the last step in the process, the worst case scenario is that you bring the church in. And the church leaders who have given the, kings, the, the keys of the kingdom to can then bring the, 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 the harshest sense of judgment, but only as, as a means to try to win them back, to try to help them see their sin and repent and turn and be reconciled to one another. So he goes through that. And on the heels of that, you have the passage we're going to look at today. Um, you have Peter coming in, in verse 21, and he says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The context of this passage is brothers disagreeing and trying to figure out how do we, how do we work together to be about kingdom work when there's so much disagreement. God has made us all so, so differently. And he's given us the principles to live according to his, his word, according to his kingdom values. But so much of the day-to-day -day life that you and I engage in, so many of the decisions that we have to make as, 
as individuals and as churches are left to the realm of wisdom. We get the, the biblical principles, the, the, the kind of hearts that we're supposed to have from the word, but then the day-to-day details. God says, hey, that's why I've given you each other. You, you've got my Holy Spirit. You've got one another in community. Now, now do the work, the day-to-day work of ministry, and make these decisions with the wisdom given you. Well, the problem with that is our, our wisdom, there are differences in it. You know, I think we should do this and go this way and in this timing. You think we should do this and this way and this timing. And so there's, there's rub, there's friction that happens regularly in the body of Christ between brothers and sisters. How do we deal with it when you react wrongly and sin against me? Well, Jesus says you, you go to that person. Here, here's the, the steps of, of, of reconciliation, of working through disagreements. And Peter takes that and he says, okay, I can, I can get that. I understand that. But he's learned at this point from living with Jesus that forgiveness should characterize the disciple. So he says, Jesus, how many times do I forgive? I mean, how, what's, what's the number? Is it, you know, a certain rabbi has said three times? That sounds like a lot to me, but I'll, I'll double it and add one. How about seven times? Forgive my brother seven times when he, when he sins against me. And Jesus says, no, you're missing the point. If you're trying to put a number on it, then, then you're missing the bigger picture of, of what's going on. You don't yet understand some deep things and some deep principles that should shape your attitude and should inform how you work together as brothers to see kingdom uh, work built and come. He says, not seven times, 77 times, 70 times seven, a, a number that represents an, an infinite amount, more than you could ever think of. Now, we give Peter a bad rap when we say seven times. Really, Peter, that's all you could come up with, seven times? But think about it for you personally. And for me personally, I thought about this week. How many times has a brother or sister of yours in Christ sinned against you seven times and you've forgiven them that many times? That's a lot. Think about that in the last week, the last month, the last year. A brother or sister of you, usually we don't get to seven times, not because... We've, we, uh, they don't sin against us that many times. People, our brothers and sisters, we sin against each other much more than that in a week, in a month, in a year's time. The reason we don't get to seven times is because we've already cut that relationship off. We've written them off and moved on by that time. And by the time we get to seven, seven times, really? Jesus' point is, hey, not, hey, 77 times, but if they do it 78, then they're done. You're done with them. He's not trying to say, I'm, let me add a number to it. He's saying if you're trying to put a number to it, you're missing the point. Forgiveness should characterize a follower of me. So I want to talk to us real quickly this morning or this afternoon about the motivation for forgiveness, the obstacles to forgiveness, and where forgiveness points. So that's what we'll talk about. The motivation for forgiveness is first what he addresses. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents now what in the world is a talent and how big of a sum is that well a talent if you got notes in your esv study, uh, bible there it may say uh, something like a talent equals 20 years wages one one talent 20 years wages now let's i just tried to play with some numbers and i don't not very good with math so i try to keep it around numbers 
Well, let's just say one year's wage is $50,000. So 50,000 times 20 is a million dollars. So we're talking about 20 years wages, one talent is a million dollars. He's saying this guy owed him 10,000 talents. So if my math is right, that's 10 billion dollars that this guy owed him. Now, James Boyce and some other commentators think it's more than that. They, they estimate up to $3.6 trillion that this guy owed the master. Now, how in the world is that going on in this passage? Well, it was common for kings to have officials that managed their, their affairs. And they would be put in charge of, you see other parables that talk about this, they'd be put in, in charge of different parts of the kingdom. Well, this guy, this official, had made a bid for one part of this kingdom saying, hey, I'll take this part and I'll make you some money here. I'll develop it and, and, and do it. But he, for whatever reason, and we don't know all the details for, for how he got into it, whether it was his own failures or if it was something shady he'd gotten into or whatever else, but somehow he'd gotten in an astronomical debt situation. And so the king is calling him to himself and he's saying, you know, just like Jesus, who's now turned and he's headed toward the cross, the end is near for him, and it's time for him to start settling accounts and saying the last, his last things to his disciples. Well, the master in this story is saying, hey, times are tough. We're headed to, 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 to somewhere. Uh, the end is coming. Let's, let's gather accounts. Let's see where we are with, with things. And so he brought these, these, this guy to him who owes him this astronomical sum. Well, since he could not pay, verse 25 says. It's not a matter of, you know, well, maybe he can pay, but, you know, it's, it's obvious. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now, this king knows he's not going to, in selling this family into slavery and getting all, all the, uh, the, 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 the material benefits of his, of his estate, he knows he's not going to get his money back. This is saying, hey, you can't make this difference up. So, you know, this is, your, this is your punishment. Well, the servant falls on his knees in verse 26, and he says, Have patience with me, but listen to what he says, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. He doesn't say, okay, I'll let you go. You go try to make some money and repay this thing. He says, no, you're never going to be repay this thing. Just, I'm having, this is forgiveness. This is mercy. Go. The debt is forgiven. You are free from ever having to worry with this again. That is, that is huge. An astronomical debt can never be paid. He's not saying, go work your hardest and try to figure it out and come back and bring me what you can. He's saying, I understand. I'm going to take care of it. It's done. You never have to worry about it again. Now go. You're a free man. Well, you and I have been forgiven a huge debt, an astronomical debt called sin. And just like this guy, we, we don't fully understand it. Or we wouldn't be living and acting like we tend to of saying, God, let me, by my life, by what I'm going to do for you, let me repay you for this great thing you've done for me by dying for my sin, taking the, my sin. Now, you... You think about it like this. I know a, I know a pastor who has, um, has killed multiple people. I know a pastor 
who has uh, done things to women that you wouldn't even imagine. I, I know a pastor who is so fake that he does things on, on, on the outside just to get people's approval. I, I know a pastor who has so much of a love of money that drives him because of his desire for security and, and control that it, it becomes the root of all kinds of evil in his life. I know a pastor who worries about things that God has told him, hey, you, trust me, you don't, need, you don't need to worry about that. I know a pastor who, who judges people, who, who, who judges people unworthy or, um, or not measuring up and, and writes them off. I knew a pastor who is so prideful that he ends up looking down his nose at other people. That pastor's me. And it, that person is you. We've just spent time studying the Sermon on the Mount. Walk through it again. How many of those things are characteristic of us? See, we, we tend to think if we haven't done the big sins, I've never killed anybody. I've never committed adultery on my wife. You know, I've never done these things over here that, that we, we tend to look down on. Jesus says if you've done them in your heart, then it's true of you. And you're guilty of all. Our sin is so much bigger than we realize. And Jesus is telling Peter that, Peter, you think you get it. <laughs> you think you're supposed to be a forgiving guy and, and that seven times is a big deal for you. But you don't understand the debt you've been forgiven, Peter. If you did, you wouldn't be asking for a number. You would be marked as characteristic of your life as one who forgives. Let's move on. The obstacles to forgiveness. Well, this guy goes out and immediately finds not somebody that's a, a subservient guy, but he finds a fellow servant, one that's on equal playing field, just as much a sinner as him. <laughs> and he goes to him and he grabs him by the throat. And it's, it's, the, the picture here is it's like he goes out seeking. He goes out just after being forgiven this big debt, and he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find this guy that owes me money, and he's going to pay. He grabs him by the throat. Well, the guy falls down on his knees just like he had done, and he begs for forgiveness. He begs for, for, for mercy. Hey, I'll pay you. And a hundred denarii is a significant uh, sum, but it's, in comparison, it's probably somewhere around the few thousands of dollars. So it's maybe $9,000 at the most, um, which is a significant sum to be. I mean, if, if somebody owed me $9,000, it would be nice to have $9,000 in my pocket. That's a significant sum, but it's nowhere close to $10 billion. Well, what does he do? He throws him into jail. What are the reasons that somebody would act that way? What are the reasons that you and I act that way? Well, for him, it's some sort of embarrassment. I mean, I, I've just had to admit that I can't repay this debt. I've had to admit that in some way I've mismanaged the money in, in, in to a point where this sum is just too big. I've, I've either done one of two things. I've either got this pride in me that's driving me to, to, to go grab this guy by the throat because I, I'm a failure. I tried to manage this money or whatever else, and I failed. I've tried to live up to this standard and do this thing, but I, I failed. And so it's driven me now in my failure, in my, in my pride, to anger and to vengeance. Or it's the other side of things. It's this extreme shame of I didn't measure up. 
I was given charge of this, this amount of money, this part of the kingdom, and I didn't measure up. And so there's such deep shame in not having been able to, to do what I should have been able to do, what others were able to do, it seems. That I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, if I can't do it, then somebody else is going to pay. And it, it, it leads them to more of a victim mentality. Man, if I can't do this, I can't do anything. I'm just this guy. And so I, I'm going to get what I can while I can. So obstacles to forgiveness are, are, are what you and I know all too well. When we have this carry around in us, this, this sense of not being able to measure up and the shame associated with it, or the, the trying to keep God's standard and the, the continual failure over and over again, not being able to measure up, it, it causes cutoff in relationship, first to God and then to, to our brothers and sisters. The last thing that you and I want is for somebody that is in that kind of state of mind to be put in any sort of authority or leadership because they are cruel taskmasters. And you and I know it because we've been there. We've been in that place. And we've done things to people that never should have happened, all driven by this embarrassment of pride and of shame of us not being able to measure up. Well, because of this lack of forgiveness, a very, very dangerous thing is said at the end, a scary thing. When his fellow servants saw it, they were greatly distressed. They went and tell the master, and in his anger, verse 34, the master delivers them to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then he says this. He usually doesn't give commentary on these parables, but he does here. Jesus says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now that is a confusing statement because it seems like Jesus is saying right here, hey, if you don't forgive, then you're not forgiven. So that seems like works righteousness. That seems like, hey, if you don't do this, then you don't get my forgiveness. My forgiveness is contingent on you doing this. Or, you know, maybe you were a Christian, but then you haven't forgiven this person, so eh, you're cut off. What, what is he saying here? Well, again, let's go back to the, the context of what he's telling Peter. He said, hey, you can't put a number on it, Peter. This is an attitude, a shaping of the heart. This is a, 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 an attitude of forgiveness that should characterize you. Here's the point. You take this with all the other teachings of what salvation is about. And what we know about salvation is this. We tend to think about it in legal terms. In justification is the, what, is the term that we use for it. That what, because of what Jesus has done for me, we are justified. We are declared righteous because of his perfect record. He takes our sin and he gives us his perfect righteousness. And that is so true. <laughs> I believe that as much as anybody in this room. But there's something that happens before that, is, that declarative act is made ours. We grasp hold of justification with the hands of faith. But faith isn't something that we can conjure up. Scriptures say we were dead in our trespasses and sins and that we were made alive by who? By God. And so what he does through his Holy Spirit is he, he reaches in and he regenerates us. He gives us a new heart. And that new heart reaches out by faith to grasp hold of the work of what Jesus has done for us. And we are justified in him. We are forgiven. 
And so that new heart then starts a process of what we call sanctification, where we're made more and more like him. We die more and more to, to sin. We live more and more to righteousness until he comes back and glorifies us, transforms us, and completes the work that he started in us. The point is this. If, as you walk with Christ, your life is not characterized by this forgiveness because of knowing motivated by the great debt that, that, that you and I have been forgiven. And he says that points backwards. to say maybe your heart has never been changed in the first place. Yeah, maybe you believe that, the G, that Jesus is a good guy and that he's, you believe the truths, you can understand them with your mind. If that makes sense, yeah, I, I can understand justification, so I must be justified. He's saying, no, if, if, if you don't demonstrate it on a day-to-day basis with your life, then it may be true that your heart has never been changed in the first place. And if that's the case, then, my Heavenly Father, you're not forgiven. And so the same end is is in store for you. This is a a parable of the coming together of, of justice and mercy. And the place that we see that most clearly is in the cross of Jesus Christ. One who didn't deserve it went in our place and accomplished our forgiveness. He took on him the punishment that you and I deserve. So justice was done and and poured out totally and finally on him. And then because of that, he can offer us mercy. And if the Holy Spirit has applied that to your heart, the point of this parable is that you will will be a forgiver. Maybe not perfectly, but more and more that will characterize your life as you walk with him. And brothers and sisters, that is what we need. If we are going to see the kingdom come, his will be done more and more today as it is in heaven. Because I'm going to need your forgiveness as we're working towards this kingdom thing until he comes again. And you're going to need my forgiveness. We're going, to, we're going to sin against each other more than seven times. And if we just cut it off and show each other no mercy, then we're, we're sabotaging our own work for, for, for the kingdom. But if because we realize how much we've been forgiven, we more and more are enabled to stay engaged, confronting one another over sin, but also being the, the quickest to forgive then what might God do in us and through us for his kingdom's sake? Let's pray that he would do that today. God, we do need that type of an attitude, that kind of a heart adjustment. We, like Peter, need to be impressed more and more with the weight of how much we've been forgiven. And we need to be quick to forgive our brothers in those ways. God, so often, it's just so easy to criticize and to uh, hold Christians on such a pedestal that when we are sinned against, we just want to write that person off or we just want to, we want judgment and justice to be served instead of mercy. It seems like even we may be more ready to give mercy to those outside of Christ than to those brothers and sisters in Christ. God, forgive us for that. 
and make us more and more into people who understand more and more how much we're forgiven and so then are motivated to, to be forgivers. And as you do that, God, use us to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth a little bit more as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.